From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents. Danny Flecka in his weekly spot previewing the NFL Draft, which launches tomorrow night at 7.30 on ESPN, NFL Network, ABC, ESPN Deportes, and ESPN Radio. So we welcome in Danny Flecka from the great state of Massachusetts. Hello, sir. How are you doing, my man? I am fine. There's a lot to get to. We have a breaking news story that was done by Darren Ravel and Jason Sobel. Uh, Most people know Darren Ravel. Uh, A lot of people don't know who Jason Sobel is, but longtime golf writer has worked for ESPN, Golf Channel, and others. That Tiger Phil Part 2, Match 2, whatever verbiage you want to use, which is a Tiger Tom Brady versus Phil Mickelson um, and Peyton Manning matchup will happen called the match champions for charity um, and will air either on May 15th or May 24th um, live on TNT no pay-per-view this time surrounding content on Bleacher Report um, so um this, this is just coming out, and here we are now with, apparently, the match going to be ready to go, and they think they may be able to play at Medalist, which is Tiger's home course uh, in Florida. Um, it could be the first time a sports event happens in this country since March. So what's your initial reading on it? It's an interesting development, and I know that's something that's been talked about the last couple of weeks. It's something that could sort of like kickstart our reemergence into, you know, sporting events here in this country. And you and I have talked about it numerous times. You know, golf is one of the perfect sports to have back first. You know, it, it automatically sort of creates these social distancing aspects that everybody is so keen on, on, on upholding as we move forward. Um, the fact that we're having, you know, two other athletes involved in that, that, you know, were, were rivals, just like Phil and um, Tiger were, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I think what we we want as, as viewers in general is something that's on a calendar, right? Something that you know that you can look forward to and you can appreciate. And, you know, this makes a ton of sense if you really look at it from 10,000 feet. It's going to be the only program probably on that date. People are going to be starved for some live content. You have some great personalities involved in there. You know, my only concern is, you know, are these players going to be candid? Are they going to be open to conversing with each other? You know, smack talk, whatever you want to call it. Um, it would you know, suck for it to be a boring event, especially after they're waiting, you know, some odd, you know, 60-plus days for some sports. Um, but overall, it, it'd be nice to see something on the calendar. And if this is a thing that's going to kick us off, then you know, I'm more than happy to spend a couple hours watching and knowing that you know, we're, we're somewhat back to um, having sports on TV, whether that's with fans or not. At this point, I, I can really care less. Uh, Turner has confirmed that this will exist, um, saying that it's coming soon. Um, this is the uh, announcement um, they are currently working with state and local uh, government and public health 
uh, uh, um, officials on, on how to do it, uh, blah, blah, blah. And the, uh, to not get into some, uh, uh, to avoid granular details here, um, the PGA Tour is working on a sign-off uh, because um, uh, there's some releases that, that, that happen when you play in something that's not through your normal way of playing. So, and uh, a- anyway, excuse me, um, that is an interesting development. And if you have to be socially distanced and if you have to wear a mask and if you have no caddies, can you safely get mic'd up? Can you have the ability to trash talk? Well, they have to wear earpieces so they can hear themselves trash talk. It's an interesting situation, especially in a a group format where you may have to help your partner depending on what, what it is. So I think this is foreseeing something in the future that, um, uh, a, a state to where we get to that I don't know if people actually think we're there yet, which is interesting, but, you know, trying to see into May 24th. Yeah. And let's keep in mind here, it's a month away and, you know, there, there's plenty of time to figure out the schematics of things. And, and the one thing that we can't keep doing is, you know, paralysis by analysis. There's always going to be little nuances we have to take into consideration when we're, we're going back to this kind of stuff. But, you know, again, golf creates that, that aspect where I don't have to be standing next to you in order to get my job done. You know, six feet, ten feet away, you can hear me say something to you if I'm talking to you. Um, as far as them micing up or, or whatever the camera situation will be, you know, we have great technology nowadays. You have drones, you have, you know, high-depth cameras, you know, the blimp, whatever it is that you need to do, there's, there's ways to get this done. So, you know, I don't want to here and look at all the negatives that could come out of this. I, I want to look at the positives, and that is that we're we're figuring out creative ways to deliver the content to people that are starved for it, and this is a, a good thing to have. And, and hopefully, it's the beginning of a lot of things coming back into the fray around that Memorial Day weekend, June first date. Um, yeah, we shall see. Uh, Memorial Day is. May 25th, so this would be the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, or May 15th, which is a Friday, from yeah, what I'm saying here. Um, a Friday. That would be a weird day to be doing it. So that might be a typo. Uh, we'll see if that gets changed. Um, May 24th was the original date for this. I've been told by multiple sources that this was supposed to be on May 25th uh, to begin with. Uh, uh, sorry, May 24th, 25th. So this that aspect does not surprise me. Um, moving on to another topic, uh, and I'll continue to update this as if, if anything happens on this front as we uh, go forward, is your city of Boston. A lot's happened in Boston in the last 24 hours. Um, the Red Sox... Science, a sign uh, stealing scandal reports finally out and only Alex Cora is being punished and that was for actions that took place as a member of the Astros not as a member of the Red Sox it sounded like from what I've seen that they really couldn't find that big smoking gun that Mike Fires provided uh, for the Houston scenario 
Yeah, I saw a little bit of what came out. I think they got docked like a 2020, 2020s second round pick, and a staffer got suspended. You know, whatever it is, you know, the crux of what the punishments were going to be came down already, and we saw the fallout from there. You know, speaking, I guess I don't want to say objectively because I'm a Yankee fan, and it's pretty obvious that I wanted the Red Sox here to suffer, and I don't care if Red Sox fans say, hey, you know, you guys cheat too, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the matter of the oh my God, the fact of the matter is that, you know, baseball could not even be played this year. And, and if this guy comes back in 2021, I think it's just like a, 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 a very like abstract type of punishment. I'd like to see him sit out a full, like 162 games of played baseball, not just like, okay, you've been suspended a year. But whatever it is, We've talked about this multiple times. They can't go back and change anything. All the results are done and final. So it is what it is, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, it's, it's weird that it came out today. I don't know what baseball we're trying to potentially find there, but it's, it's over with, and, you know, we can move forward and not hopefully hear about this, this anymore. I can tell you that what Rob Manfred told Scott Van Pelt uh, about a month ago when when he was on the show on on SVP Sports Center that the delay was that Manfred the lawyers and and the staff who were doing the report had to shift the coronavirus stuff and there was just a hold up because of that that they had everything done but just the writing of the report took a while um so that is uh that is uh, the way that that has played out. So, now we move to Gronk. Um, switch sports, but Gronk spent many times in that arena, in that stadium. As Danny Flecker joins us on Team Up Presents, um, Gronk going to Tampa to reunite with Tom. Seems odd, considering the reasons for why Gronk left the sports. Not like that suddenly changed and all those concerns have gone away. So, I'm I'm a little confused here. Yeah, I think it really comes down to at the end of the day that he was tired of the shit he was getting up in, in New England. You know, I think he was tired of playing for Belichick. I think he, he realized he's a 29, 30-year-old man. You know, he wants to be able to have some fun and do things that he finds uh, humorous and things that he wants to do in general. And that was like, you know, do the wrestling stuff, commercials, business ventures, whatever it may be. He knew, and we all knew, that he wasn't going to be able to do all that stuff if he was part of the New England Patriots. And one way he could do that was to retire. And, you know, he had sufficient reason to do that anyway. You know, he was banged up. He's been hurt numerous times. And this was just, I think, really now when we look at it, that, you know, he wanted to pursue his outside passion, and he knew he wasn't going to be able to do that unless he was uh, retired or not a member of the New England Patriots. There was no way the Patriots were going to be trading him if he was playing, and there was no way they were going to extend his contract either. So that was a way for him to get out. And at the end of the day, the Pats, I think, too, wanted to wash their hands of this. You know, the, the reports since he retired were that he was coming back, coming back, coming back. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's doing this boxing, whatever it is. I think, too, they probably got fed up and were like, you know what? If this is what he wants, that's fine. We didn't have him this year anyway. Let's move forward and get something for him and, and, you know, wash our hands of it. And, and, you know, it is what it is. He's going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneers soon. 
The NFL Draft is tomorrow night, and you and some friends, sir, put together a mock draft of the first 215 picks. Is this called what being quarantined leads people to do? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> you know, passing the time, doing something that's engaging, and uh, that you, you know, us, all of us fans, you know, look for this content in general that you know that, that follows football and follow the draft. There's just an opportunity just to, to do some of that stuff and just be, you know, understand a little bit more about what's going on out there, too. You know, you've got to fill the time. And the time I spent doing this, I probably would be doing other things in a normal situation. But it was, it was a fun exercise. It sure seemed like a fun exercise. Um, is there any chance you have Lamar Jackson, the cornerback, going at 206 to Jacksonville. Do you think there's a chance that the Ravens trade up just to have some fun during this horrible time and give us a laugh and, like, say they're going to draft two Lamar Jacksons? Or, 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 sorry, draft this Lamar Jackson to uh, um, have a uh, have two on the roster? I mean, anything's possible. But, you know, the, the Ravens are one of the best teams at drafting in general. I don't see them doing something just for that reason. <laughs> it would be interesting. All right, let's go to the top. I think everybody agrees that Joe Burrow is going one. Um, I think the fun gets it at two. And who trades up? What happens? I'm going to ask you two questions here. Number one, is there any scenario where... Because you guys say about Chase Young... Best player in the draft. His speed and quickness off the line is next level. Blah, blah, blah. Is there any way that... Is this a, is this a scenario where if Washington is one, Chase one goes one, and just because Cincy is one and they need a quarterback so desperately and Joe Burrow is that good that Joe Burrow goes one and Chase Young goes two? Is that kind of how you see it in, in your eyes? Yeah, unless something dramatic happens, you know, the, the Redskins could take Tua. It, it, it happened last year, right? A top 10 pick was taken a year before, and they, they the Cardinals had it, the number one pick into the quarterback. Um, but I don't know if I'm the Redskins, if that type of investment is needed, given the type of style of football that you're probably going to be playing with Ron Rivera. And I, and I can understand Tua's feeling. I can understand the skill set he brings there. But if you're watching it, unless you get a boatload of picks, this number number two pick has to be has to be Chase Young. They're, they have a lot of other situations on that team right now that they have to take care of. So the only option I can see here is, is taking one of the best players in the draft. On top of that, if you want to get more picks, you can get more picks. But this, I think, comes down to the Washington setting a tone for what this Ron Rivera regime is going to be. And having a guy like Chase Young allows them to do that. It's hard for me to understand why you pass this up. But, you know, we've seen weird things happen in the past. And I I can imagine this, this pick being traded. Anything is possible. But this is one of the surefire pick that you can make in this draft, and I, and I don't know if I'm Washington if I'm taking that risk of missing out on that. Um, you write an interesting sentence at the end of the Joe Burrow review, which is, 
Hopefully, since he can surround him with weapons and, re- and, and replicate some of the offensive scheme from LSU to allow him to adjust to life in the NFL. Joe Brady is now with the Panthers. Um, do you think it can happen, or do you think this is going to be learn a different scheme for a year, and then we'll f- assess that, and then eventually uh, you know, put together a unit that allows him to use his strengths more like he did at LSU? You know, since he's going into a situation, I mean, since he has a decent offensive skill set, you know, team, they have Jill Mixon, they have um, A.J. Green, they have Tyler Boyd, so they have some pieces there that could help Joe Burrow right away. And I think what they need as far as weapons to come along on the offensive line, right, you need to make sure that offensive line is stable enough to protect him. I'm a big believer in you you adjust your scheme based off the personnel you have, not the personnel based off your scheme, because you could be looking at a 5- to 10-year rebuild as an organization if you take that mindset. And I think that's what dooms NFL teams from the beginning when they bring in new types of quarter, uh, new types of coaches or coordinators or whatever that they have. You have a young coach there who should be more open to the fact that maybe we should change things up a bit with our team here. You know, we have two dynamic wide receivers. we got to invest in the offensive line. We have a good running back. Let's find ways that, that allows us to put him in situations that are comfortable. Everyone always talks about the learning curve for these players. How about you make the learning curve shorter by introducing things that they've done already? Um, you know, the, the verbiage and everything else like that, yeah, it can change. But if you introduce schemes and concepts that are similar – there's no reason why these players can't be successful. And when you invest in a player at the top of the draft like that, especially as a quarterback, you want to be flexible. You don't want to be rigid. And since he has to understand that. And I think Zach Taylor is, is young enough, uh, you know, he's savvy enough to understand that. And hopefully they do that because they do have some pieces there that can get them to a couple of wins this first season. It's not going to be smooth because there's a learning curve in, in general. You know, he's going to be a rookie quarterback, but um, I think LSU's scheme is easy enough to replicate given that he came from New Orleans. Um, it was working under Sean Payton. The Sean Payton tree is, is very much alive in the NFL and in various organizations. So it should be something that people could look into and replicate if they wanted to. Um, it's interesting as you look and, and go down this list. We're talking to Danny Flecka about his mock draft. Um, to number um, three, uh, Detroit, and then number four, the Giants. It's just weird seeing the name Las Vegas instead of Oakland. Um, I'm not sure about you when you guys wrote this, but it's just so weird to see it. Um, you think three could be traded. Um Four could be traded for the Giants. Jeff Akuda, the cornerback, going to Detroit. Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker, going to the Giants. What's the rationale for taking these players, and what's the rationale for trading these picks? I think every team after Washington in the top ten is looking to trade out, and that's just my sense based off the reports that have come in, draft capital. Um, you know, the Giants don't have a pick. You know, after their second-round pick, they don't have a pick for 60 picks. Detroit has multiple holes that they need to fill. Um, you know, we did this draft understanding that we weren't going to be do, doing trades. We just did it straight up. 
Um, you know, Detroit need corners. They don't have any corners on that team that are, are NFL caliber corners. You know, Matt Patricia likes to run a man-to-man defense, and in order to do that, you need a top-flight corner, or at least a corner that can project to get to that type top-flight status. Um, so that's why I think corner is the pick there. I can see Detroit maybe even taking a guy like Isaiah Simmons, but I, I don't think that they are going to invest in that, given that some of the additions they made this offseason with, like, Jamie Collins and, and some other players. So... The cornerback position really stands out to me as a need for them right off the bat. And then for the Giants, my my hope is that they trade out of this pick. I, they need some more capital. They need to get some more young players in there. But when you look at a guy like Isaiah Simmons, he is a do-it-all defensive player. I, I can understand people saying he's a, he's a tweener. He doesn't have a real spot. And to be honest with you, as a football fan, I'm looking for someone on that side of the ball that can tackle somebody and cover somebody. So whether he's covering a tight end or running back, he's sacking the quarterback, I don't really care. Um, he, needs, he needs people nowadays that can be flexible and can be versatile, and Isaiah Simmons is that to a T. So, you know, if you're looking at someone who can fill multiple needs for you in just one pick, you know, that's the guy. If you're looking at the Giants that I ultimately think are going to be taking an offensive lineman here, if you think that's the best pick for your team, you do that as well. But when I look and, and see, you know, okay, you need someone that can cover line, cover running back, cover tight end, eventually play some safety and, and disguise schemes a bit, and rush the passer, I say it fits and fits it all. Um, then we get to Tua. And this whole thought about who is Tua really. Is it the wisdom of Nick Saban? Is it... Can he stay healthy? Can he stay durable? Nobody's been able to do a physical or a medical check on him. It seems like Miami's in love with him. Miami needs a quarterback. We know that. Um, You have the Chargers taking Justin Herbert. Is this something in your eyes where this could... Why, Why do you think Miami is so in love with Tua, number one? And number two... Who do you think is the best NFL prospect prospect of all these quarterbacks? So one of the reasons if I'm Miami, I'm looking at, at Tua, is that the projection of what he can be and what you can provide him with just this year. Miami has somewhere around like 10 to 12 picks. They invested heavily in free agency on the defensive side of the ball. I think with this type of pick, you're bringing in somebody who's going to grow and mature with the class around him. And you have that opportunity to develop these players all at the same time and potentially realize their ceilings before they're looking for a second contract. I think Tua presents a lot of the things that are really appealing to, to teams. You know, he's accurate with the ball. He doesn't make dumb decisions. He has mobility. He came from a... a a good coaching system in Alabama. You can understand that he knows what it's like to prepare and to be prepared for games. The biggest question right now is his injury history. When you play a sport like football, you're going to get hurt. And some of these injuries are freak injuries. You know, that that hip injury, you know, we're, we're talking about in the last play of the first half. You know, it, it was unfortunate to see, see that happen. But if we're talking April... 22nd, 2019, before you know the draft last year, the number one player after all the after the draft was done was Tua. 
So to get him at number five, it's tremendous value if, if you're the Dolphins. I don't see why you don't take that opportunity. He doesn't have to start from day one either, so you, there's a chance to just ease him in a bit. But with everything that's been coming out lately, I think this take is looking more and more likely like it's either going to be traded or that they're going to be taking somebody else in this spot, whether it's an offensive lineman or potentially Herbert. Um, a lot of rumors out there and smoke screens out there, but if it were me, I'm in the room. I have a pick at 18 and at 22 or something like that. I have a chance to grab a top-flight quarterback, a top-flight offensive lineman, and potentially a top a top 10 wide receiver in this draft. I'm going in and making sure that I can get the best possible quarterback for my team in the next five to 10 years. Talking to Danny Flecker here about his mock draft, the Chargers getting Herbert. This is something that I think is very interesting in that you said to me the other day, the Chargers are one of the sneaky hard opponents for the Bucks this year and for, and for Tom Brady and company. And I was like, why? They have Tyrod Taylor as their quarterback. I saw him twice a year as a Jet fan. He wasn't very good at times. But it's interesting what Herbert can do, and they do have a good defense. When they revealed their uniforms... Every player they showed used their was was a defensive player basically. So clearly, this is about having the pieces with Keenan Allen and company, and then being able to use a quarterback that can actually pass it and is not aging out like Philip Rivers was. Although the Colts clearly think he's not aging out because they signed him. Yeah, Herbert interesting because last year I was hoping he came out. I thought he would be a great pick for the Giants last year if he came out. Um, I just really like Herbert's makeup. A big guy. He can move around in the pocket. He came from an offense where they were making quick decisions left and right in the passing game. He, you know, these Oregon teams he was on weren't the best Oregon teams that, you know, that we saw it with a Mariota, you know, in years past where he had a bunch of talent around him. And he sort of willed them to some wins. You know, he had a tough game against Wisconsin in the, in the Rose Bowl, which was his last game. But he had three rushing touchdowns in that game and, and made some big throws as well. I, I think if you're the Chargers, you're, you need to be able to have a plan in place for what your team is going to look like next year. You have a lot of money that's going to be going to the defense very, very soon with guys like Derwin James and, and Bosa up for contract. Um, they signed Eckler to a, a a market contract, a pretty good contract for them, but you have to be able to have some cheaper pieces at some valuable positions. And getting a guy like Kerber, potentially to a, where you know for the next five years they're cost controlled, you can build a team around them. Again, it makes no sense to me why you pass up on an opportunity to have a young quarterback that's, in the, that's rated very highly because you know, you have a lot of other needs to, to fill. Um, the Chargers aren't one of those teams. They have a pretty solid roster. They need better coaching and better better execution. And I think having a guy like Herbert waiting in the wings, or even two if that's the case, is, is a great option for them. I don't think the Chargers lose with this pick, whether it's Herbert or Tua. Um, telling Danny Fleck about his mock draft. Let's move down a bit. You've, it, you guys have a run of offensive linemen going with with Makai Becton to Arizona, Tristan Wirfs to Jacksonville, Jedrick Williams Jr. to Cleveland. 
Um, and there's another guy here, Andrew Thomas, going to Tampa, a bunch of picks after the Jets. And I've seen almost every single one of those names given to the Jets. I want Jerry Judy. I want a playmaker. You gave me Jerry Judy. I'll take CeeDee Lamb if he's up there. I want a playmaker. Uh, Justin Jefferson you have going, <coughs> I believe it's early in round two, but I loved what Justin Jefferson did last year. These are playmakers, and yet all these teams that are above them are picking offensive linemen, um, and which I find fascinating. What is it about this draft an offensive lineman, or is this specific team need for Arizona, Jacksonville, and Cleveland? Yeah, so looking at the draft in the way it was full, you know, up, coming through, you know, the first first couple of picks, you look at some of these teams here, you have the, the Cardinals, which invested in, in Hopkins, so, you know, their need for wide receivers should be taken care of. They, they drafted three wide receivers last year. They still have Larry Fitzgerald there. So, you know, they, they have the opportunity here to, to anchor that offensive line, which was an absolute mess last year. You have to take it. You cannot wait to take top-tier talent. And if you're Arizona, again, they're trying to trade out of this pick because they can still think they get a, a decent offensive lineman later in the draft. So be it. But they have to take it if they're at the spot when the top-tier tackles. Um, you can't have Kyler Murray running for his life you know, a five foot eight, five foot nine, whatever he is, um, for a number uh, for a number of years. And what's the point of training for Hopkins if if Murray's on his back half the time? You got to get that tackle. Jacksonville, on the other hand, I don't know what they're doing in general. Uh, <laughs> so I, I took this pick with the best player left on the board. I, I thought Works is easy to get top five, top you know six pick, depending on how the board falls or who's moving where. Um, but if you're Jacksonville, you have to look maybe another two or three years in the future because is Gardner Minshew your your solution there for the next five years? Probably not. But one way to ensure that he is as successful as possible is to have a good offensive line. You know they have some good defensive pieces, and you know and Jacksonville has 12 picks this draft too, so they don't have to reach for, for anything here. They can they can definitely you know trade this pick or, or grab a playmaker if they, they felt like it. But I thought in this, op- this specific point in time, they had to take an offensive line and just given them the way the roster lines up. And they, they have a lot of loaded contracts, too, on that offensive line that they could be looking to get rid of next year. And then going to Cleveland, again, same, same situation as, as the Cardinals. You know, you have a, a young quarterback, dynamic skill set, uh, skill players. What was the big problem last year for them? Their offensive line. They got, they got Conklin which is fine. You know, he's going to anchor one side of that line, but you need somebody else as well. And, and you know, Jedrick Will is, is one of the best offensive linemen that's going to be left at this spot. And if you're not taking him, if you're Cleveland, you've you got to be insane. you got to protect your quarterback. you got to be able to get the best player available. And in this spot, for Cleveland, the best player available would be an offensive tackle. Who's the better receiver, Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb? I'll be honest with you. I think Judy's the best wide receiver to come out of the draft in the last couple of years. I think every time I watched him play, he was electric. He is a great route runner, has good hands, has speed. You know, he, he knows what he's doing out there. I think that he's the best wide receiver in this class. Like, I, I just I just love the way he runs his routes and gets open. And, you know, once he gets the ball in his hands, 
he's a, he's electric. He can make you know a, a five yard slant turn into a sixty yard game uh, without a doubt. He has some good size to him too. So you know he, he reminds me a little bit you know of a, a young Amari Cooper. Um, you know when he came out, but I think Judy's just more polished than even Cooper was when he came out a couple of years ago. So I think Judy is probably the best wide receiver in this class. Jalen Hurts to Green Bay way down in the draft. Interesting. Yeah, again, this is just, I think, what you're looking at here. You know, one of the things that I, I hear about the Giants, you know, during the Eli tenure was that they wasted picks on quarterbacks that you knew were never going to see the field. Um, and the Packers have a decent amount of picks. Hurts is an interesting player. I think he's one of those players that people are overlooking uh, for a number of different reasons. But I think in Green Bay, he would have the opportunity to sit and learn a bit. And, and we know that Rodgers has, has had his injuries in the past, um, and Green Bay has suffered for it. So I think having a young, dynamic type of quarterback behind him wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And again, he's not going to be someone that's going to be coming in there to play. We're talking about a Green Bay team that was 13-3 and last year. Obviously, they could use some upgrades different spots in that team, uh, but I think that hurt landing there wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him, at least from a professional uh, standpoint. Um, you guys looked at 215 picks and no punters in the first 215 picks. That starts round seven. I'm I'm with Rich Eisen. Punters are people too. What what happened? What's wrong with the punters in this draft? There's no point in wasting your equity that you have in this draft on, on punters. To be honest with you, you take them when when the draft is out or in the summer. You know these picks are valuable, especially nowadays um, with the situation we find ourselves in. You know we, you've got to be able to take things. Take players that you think are going to be able to contribute to your team as soon as you are able to get back into it. So, uh, punters can be taken, you know, as free agents during the summertime. There's no need to waste draft capital on them. Uh, the reason why I brought that up in all seriousness was the person you have going at 213 is very interesting. It's the only kicker in this mock draft, and it's Tyler Bass to the Patriots, who had more punters go through their doors last year than I think in the last like 80 years combined. They had had an insane run between Venetary and Sebastian Jenny, oh, sorry, and um, uh, Stephen uh, uh, Gostowski of consistency. And then last year, it was just a revolving door. What's your view? And, and, and as you guys write here, there's no kicker currently on the Pats roster, which is shocking as we sit here on August 22nd. Uh, Oh, God, August 22nd. That would be interesting. It's April 22nd. Um, what's your view on, A, Tyler Bass, if you have any, and then, B, the Pats kicking scenarios? Is this going to be another revolving door until they settle on somebody? No, and that's why I think they're going to invest in, in a kicker here. And, you know, Tyler Bass and Rodrigo Blankenship from Georgia are the top two kickers in this draft. Both are pretty accurate kickers and had the leg to, to contribute on kickoffs as well. So I think if you're the New England Patriots, it's probably between the two that you're taking at some point at the end of the sixth or beginning of the seventh round. Um, but like I mentioned here, they don't have a kicker on the roster, and, and you don't want to go into camp potentially looking at a, a revolving door there again this year for them. And, you know, while it's nice to bring in a veteran option you might know something about, they're taking a player here in the sixth round, cost control for four years, very cheap assets. Um, it, again, it, 
Patriots love versatility. This guy is going to be a kickoff specialist and your and your place kicker. He's also punted in the past, you know, for his college team. So if he ever needs to step in there for whatever reason, um, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't invest in somebody that could be a, their kicker. And you know, they took Gostowski back in 2005 or whatever it was, 2006, in the fifth round, sixth round, whatever it was, and he kicked for them for a number of years. So um, we all know that. Bill Belichick values special teams, and they're going to need somebody in that spot that's reliable for them and is young and athletic, and this guy presents that for them because, you know, the Pats are going to be able to do the same things they did in the past, so they need to have somebody that can kick a field goal past 35 yards, which is what they weren't doing with Nick Folk at the end of last year. Um, one last thing about the Pats. Who's their quarterback week one? I think, in honesty, like right now, the way I look at it, it's going to be a stidum. I, I don't know if they have the cap space to bring anybody else in right now unless they, they move Joe Tooney for whatever reason. Um, I, I don't know if Cam Newton and Andy Dalton are viable options right now. Maybe in a different type of offseason they would be, but I don't think that they're going to be investing in that. I think what they want to do and what we're, we're going to see is that this is a new age for them. They're going to use the draft the next two years to probably rebuild and see if they've got anything. And if they have to be super aggressive at some point in time, either you know during this draft or during next year's draft, they will be. But I think as of right now, it's probably going to be Stidham. Uh, how much time do you have? Because we've only gone through like eight picks, and we got 200 more to go. And I got like five minutes. Um, all right. In these last five minutes, wh- who have I left out? What have I left out? Um Tremendous undertaking by by you and your friends. Well done. Um, and and folks, there's like paragraphs for a lot of these people. I mean, this is some serious research. This is what quarantine and being forced to watch Bachelor Nation has clearly done for Danny Flecka. Um, so where are we here? Um, what have I left out? Who have I left out that you want to bring up? Yeah, I, I think going through this exercise... You know, one of the things we saw was that the, the wide receiver position is as deep as people say it is. There are a lot of good wide receivers in this draft, and teams are going to have the opportunity to to really supplement what they have currently with some of these wide receivers. And it, it makes sense if you have a top pick to take one of those top wide receivers, but there's some players here that I absolutely Love watching playing in college that we're taking late, you know, in the second, third, or fourth round. You know, a couple names that come up to mind is, you know, Denzel Mims, who played at Baylor, um, Michael Pittman Jr., who was a wide receiver at USC. He's one of my favorite wide receivers in this draft. Um, another guy from Texas, Colin Johnson, who was hurt a, a bunch last year but had a great uh, junior year. So there's a lot of good wide receivers in this draft, and it just goes to show you that. The college game is evolving a bit, and I think that the benefit of that has been the, the production of the wide receivers and the way that they're able to potentially step in a lot quicker than they have in the past. So wide receiver is as deep as it is. Uh, another thing that I, I noticed that while doing this is that a lot of players in, in college are, are in between positions, You know, whether that's like a 3-4 D end or an outside linebacker in a 4-3 scheme, whatever it may be. There's a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball that kind of fit that mold. I think 
I think with those types of players, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here to find some players that maybe have been overlooked that you can coach up and fill needs for you. So, you know, there's some good players, you know, late in the draft. And one of the guys that comes to mind, too, that's being projected now in the first round is Marlon Davidson. Um, you know, he's a, a big D end out of Auburn. He can play defensive tackle, too, if you needed to, you know, move him around a bit. Um, but, you know, he probably projects more as like a 3-4 D end. But there's a lot of those types of players that, that have that sort of ability to either bulk up or slim down and play different positions. So I think there's a lot of versatility, too, in the strap on the defensive side of the ball with the players coming out. Danny, thank you. This is one impressive undertaking. Major props to you and your pals on uh, getting this done. Yeah, I mean, that shows you when you got a lot of time on your hands, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Folks, if you're... Uh, if you're underperforming, find something you're passionate in and you will get a lot done. Uh, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up Presents. No problem, man. Have a good night. You got it. And thank you all for uh, listening to this edition of Teeing It Up Presents. Enjoy.